Welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Join me, your host, Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. And remember, this is wide screen podcasting. This is wide screen podcasting. I am, of course, your host, Sam Wiles. Thank you all for tuning in. I hope you're all well, safe and sound. Today here, here today, I'm going to be taking a break from all the rigorous notes that I'm compiling for both parts one and two of the Flaming Pie podcast I'm working on to make sure that you folks out there actually get an episode this week. Because, well, Flaming Pie Parts 1 and 2 may be our longest combined episode ever. And what better way to make sure that you have some quick-to-produce yet quality content here on Paul or Nothing? Well, of course, you've read the title, you all know what I am referring to. It is time for another episode of Listen With Sam, where we chill out together, sit back and skirt the dangerous laws of copyright infringement as we listen to another Paul McCartney album. You know, while I obnoxiously talk over the top of it. Of course, with this side series, all the albums we are covering are albums we already looked at here on the podcast already, and it allows me to see whether my opinions on these songs have been updated, changed, or grown at all. Now, since last time we covered London Town, it is time for us to have one last farewell hurrah with Wings as we tackle Back to the Egg from 1979. I know technically we should be doing Wings Over America, but I don't think this format will work as well with a live album. Plus, it'll be me repeating opinions on songs that I've already repeated on previous episodes of Lisa with Sam, and it's just inception levels of repetition. Maybe some other time, I don't know. Anyway, I can't wait to give this album a spin. It's a relatively divisive one in regards to the McCartney fandom and community. Some people don't really think it's that good at all, some think it's pretty okay, and others are foaming at the mouth for it to be the next Archive re-release. I'm going into this episode wanting to like it, and I more or less remember enjoying the majority of it the first time around, but there is always that nagging voice at the back of my head that says, oh, this might not be as good as you remember. Also, just a quick shout out to my friends Andrew Brooks and John Heaton, whom I've both had on the show and on Macca in Your Attic, for randomly today, they are also recording an episode on Back to the Egg. Go and check out their YouTube channels in the description down below. But yeah, folks, I'm not going to talk about Back to the Egg myself. I'm not going to do even a Cliff Notes version of the backstory to that album, you know, you all, well, A, all of you know all of it already, I presume, and B, I would like to advertise previous episodes of the show. If you don't remember what I said about this album and you're interested or you haven't heard the original Back to the Egg episode, then please go back to that egg and listen to that original episode. However, before we can return to the yolk, as it were, hopefully in the time it takes to boil an egg, we have to settle the matter of the... Housekeeping... Right, what do we have in terms of news for today? Well, first of all, there are rumours, rumours, that Paul is going to be playing the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. That sounds very exciting. Of course, Paul also played for the Olympics, which featured the Queen as well. He's made some comments in the media recently about Her Majesty being a babe from back in the day, which is very cheeky and very poor, but it would make total sense for Paul to play at her Platinum Jubilee. If he doesn't play Her Majesty, that is just a massive missed opportunity. But as long as he doesn't play Magical Mystery Tour as bad as he did during the Olympics, it should be a good show. There are also further rumours of Paul announcing tour dates. US tour dates, that is. Nothing has been uh, indicated for Europe or, more importantly, England here so far. However, one normally follows the other. If I do hear anything on Paul McCartney tour dates being announced, you will hear it first. Of course, 
If you are not already, make sure you are signed up to Paul McCartney's website and become a friend of Paul or a friend of Paul McCartney. I'm not sure what the offer is called because if you do, you get like off off of the tickets like a, a few hours before everyone else. That's how I got to see Paul in London last time and got decent seats. So make sure you do do that and keep your fingers at the ready, folks, because something might be being announced, you know, in between this episode and next. And finally. We've got Record Store Day around the corner, uh, the 23rd of April here in the UK. I'm sure it's probably the same in the US. Basically, we've got quite a lot of stuff coming out, actually. Uh, For Paul, we've got a Women and Wives 12-inch single. Hopefully, the B-side might contain some more of that lost bonus content from the McCartney 3 sessions. Who knows? That'd be very interesting. Not the most... um, Pertinent release for me to pick up, really. Not the biggest fan of Women and Wives, as many of of you may know. Uh, I am a fan of the St. Vincent cover, though. Oh, that'd be a good B-side, actually. But yeah, we've got Women and Wives from Macca. We've got I Am Missing You by Ravi Shankar and Friends. Uh, That's a 12-inch as well. There's going to be 2,700 copies of that. There's also going to be blue and orange vinyl pressings of the Ringo the Fourth album with 3,000 copies total. Ringo's now getting in on the multicoloured vinyl action. I'm glad to see that. Um, I don't know how many copies of Women and Wives are going to be printed. Possibly more. More demand. Uh, oh, and finally, there's also going to be pressings of the Nowhere In, the new soundtrack album, by none other than St. Vincent, who I just mentioned again. I mean, with that and the Women and Wives 12-inch, this might actually be the first record store day where I actually bother to attend and go and pick up the stuff. I missed a lot of stuff around the uh, Egypt Station era, so maybe I can make up for that with going to one of these new uh, record store days. I'm not going to be like Tom Hunyadi, though, and camp out seven years before the actual stores open. Uh, I might just rock up and see what queues are, are going on. We'll see. Anyway, with the news over, let's just quickly run through the plugs. To get in contact with the show, drop us an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. I always love reading out any and all correspondence here on the show. I want to hear your Paul McCartney stories. I want to hear your thoughts on Back to the Egg. Any and all trivia to do with the Big Mac, whether you've seen him live, whether you play his music. Maybe, maybe you've met him. Maybe there's some factoid I haven't mentioned here on the show. Anything and everything, I want to hear it. That's paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. For daily updates, follow us on our Twitter page, at McCartneyPod. Follow us on our blog for some bonus extra written word, Paul McCartney content, which is paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by typing in either Paul or Nothing or Paul McCartney Podcast. You can find all 29 episodes so far of Macca In Your Attic, our sister show where me and a guest go through their Paul McCartney collections. Um, I haven't actually put out an episode uh, for a couple of weeks now. I'm not putting out one this week, but I do have quite a few guests lined up in the next couple of weeks, so do keep your ears peeled for that. Of course, Macca In Your Attic is just a great way to check out bonus Paul or nothing content if you've listened to all of the podcasts. Make sure you do go check it out. You know, I always appreciate the extra love from you guys out there. But if you want to help out the show directly, if you want to help out right now in a way that takes less than 30 seconds, you know, whether you're listening on the podcast, whether you're on any and all apps, whether you are on YouTube and watching some Mac in your attic, if you could take 30 seconds to just leave us a like, a review, a comment, anything like that, it always helps out the show massively. It always means a lot to me personally i always love reading comments and seeing what you guys and gals think of the show but yeah likes thumbs up stars all of that really boosts us up in all of those impossible to define algorithms you know the deal by now and finally if you want to help out the show in a more fiduciary way shall we say you know maybe you've been enjoying the show that i do for free without ads whilst i work a full-time job and so Maybe you want to contribute to that. Maybe you want to say thank you. Maybe you want to just chuck a couple of dollars at my face down the internet every month. Of course, you're always free to do that. However, if you want to get something back, if you want to get some bang for your buck, then you do actually get bonuses when you join our Patreon family. You get two days early access to all episodes of Paul or Nothing. You get 
instant access to all episodes of Mac It in your attic that I record. You get instant access to the Paul or Nothing video feed. So most of the interviews I do now are on uh, Zoom. So I'll record that. And before I even start editing the show or anything like that, even think about releasing it, I will upload that video straight to Patreon where you can watch the episode days, weeks, sometimes even months earlier than you would just be able to listen to it. And of course, you get the visuals. You get to see my lovely face, a face for radio. You get access to scripts for the show, lost episodes, unreleased episodes that will never hit the feed. And recently, I've also started uploading weekly vlogs. Yeah, I've I've just wanted to do a bit more exclusive content for the Patreon page. Last week, I did a vlog on the Paul McCartney Half Speed Masters. And this week, I've started going through my entire Paul McCartney collection, talking through each release, what I think about it, where I got it, that kind of thing. (laughs) The plan originally was to do the entire McCartney uh, vinyl collection in one sitting, and it became very apparent very quickly that I was only going to get through the singles. So in the latest episode uh, of the vlog series on Patreon, you get to see me go through all of my seven inches. I've got a, I've got a lot of seven inches, if you know what I mean. But yeah, if you want to help see the show grow, if you want to help me get access to content to review, guests to interview, or even just, you know, help me get by in the world, please consider joining our Patreon page. It's always appreciated, folks. I've got so much love for my Patreon patrons. They always give me instant feedback. You know, all of you out there listening right now, you are so beloved by me, if that means anything to any of you. Uh, And I just want to give a huge shout out to my Patreon family, Mr. D. Dubs, Andy Cochran, Guy Jenkinson, Nancy Twoey, Richard Campbell, Christopher Newman, Mrs. P, Roderick Harper, Moti Ryber, Robert Shuley, Christian Perry, Richard Driver, Chris Atkinson, Richard Binnington, Mr. B, Teresa Breda, Stephanie Miller, Lou DeLonardo, Cheryl McCoy, Katrina S, Sam Hode, Anastasia L, Warren Butson, and Matt Phillips. Right, folks, now that that is all out of the way, I think it is time for us to get out our copies of Back to the Egg, put them in our CD drives, put them on our vinyl players, sync it up on our streaming services, yada, yada, yada. It's time to get back to the egg, folks. Let's do it. Right, folks, it is 1979. It's been a year since Wings' last major release. Well, actually, no, we've had a couple of major releases in the last year. We've had London Town, Wings Over America was just shortly before that. And then also we've had Wings Greatest, the first compilation album of Solo Paul. So we've had a lot of material to chew through. Nostalgia should be quite high for the band. But obviously, of course, the last two albums were not as high quality as the rest had been so far. So I imagine everyone's a little trepidatious at this point. Imagine the mindset. You know, you've heard Goodnight Tonight. You've enjoyed that. You may have enjoyed the last album. You might not have. So let's get in the headspace of the fans in this very crucial year of Wings history. And let's see what you thought, see what they thought. Let's dive right into Back to the Egg. And so we open up the proceedings with The Reception, which is the only time I could ever think of where Paul has begun an album with what is essentially a link track. You know, maybe that's a bit of a flippant description. This is certainly much more of a thematic piece, an artistic mood setter, which admittedly it's very good at doing. Of course, the idea of this song is that it's the beginning of the loose concept of the album, or at least the first part of the album, whereby this is meant to be a radio station that someone's dialing into on the way to a concert or a show, and they're listening, you know, they're literally listening to the radio the whole way through. And this is the sort of odd stuff on the stations they're coming across. I don't think it's meant to be an accurate portrayal of one specific frequency, but more of an amalgamation of multiple signals bleeding into each other. Loki, I've always had a soft spot for this track. Not least because of a dirty yet incredibly funky bass line that Paul's laying over the top there. The synths are also really quirky on top of that. It's a wonderful introduction to the album. Is it the best thematic start that we have available? Probably not, but it's still incredibly cool and different for a Wings album. And with that, oh, we go right into our second song, Getting Closer. And already, folks, whilst I was a little harsh to this one during the original review, I can honestly say that I've warmed to it so much more than before. Like, I think I was focusing far too much on the salamander lyric here, in the way people tend to focus too much on the dustbin lid line from The Other Me. And now that I'm past that, I'm able to focus on the positives of the song. 
yeah, he wasn't particularly deep or anything, but neither was Rock Show, a similar album opener. And this song is simply meant to be fun and enjoyable, introduced to a new version of Wings, and isn't meant to be overanalyzed too much, which isn't good for me. <laughs> of course, the standout here is McCartney's vocals. He's firing on all cylinders with his pipes in this period. And this song kicks off the album with him displaying that in full glory. It's admittedly very hard to not get swept up in the excitement of it all. Especially that opening line, even with the salamander thing. Yeah, you know, he's really giving it his all, and that enthusiasm and the energy is infectious, you know. And, you know, the melody's pretty darn irresistible as well. And as you can hear right now, we've also got some pretty sumptuous Wings group harmonies here. And whilst they, you know, they aren't the classically laid or complex Wings vocals, it's a nice window into what the band would have sounded like if they were a straight-up rock outfit, which is this song by extension and the whole album. Lyrically, the song continues with the theme of people going on their way to a show. Obviously, the title's a bit of a giveaway, you know, they're getting closer to the destination. And whilst I never focus on the verses too much up at all now, I've just been having to give them a quick glance. Um, Keeping ahead on the rain on the road, watching my windscreen wipers, radio play me a danceable ode, cattle beware of snipers, and then there's hitting the chisel and making a joint, gluing my fingers together, radio play me a song with a point, sailor beware of the weather. So yeah, we have the band on a rainy road, which is in the video, uh, two pleads from Paul for the radio to play decent music, which is kind of like them heralding the rest of the album in a cheeky way, uh, and yeah, I'm not sure how well this whole narrative is conveyed to the listener, especially with McCartney's delivery, but it's kind of fun to think that there's more going on in this song than what's just on the surface. Um, I don't know why cows should be aware of sharpshooters or sailors aware of the weather in the context of this song, but it's a fun rhyme. The song's goofy. I can hear Ken Marcus telling me not to think about it too much. Um, we've also got a, a making a joint reference here. Uh, of course, we're going to have another one later on in the song, but uh, yeah, starting off with a weed reference, very wings. Of course, being a McCartney song, he also makes this about love. You know, it's not just what they're getting closer to the destination, he's getting closer to their heart. Oh man, this breakdown section at the end of the song though, with these synthy organs, is just so fucking epic. You can tell why they wanted to have this as the opening single and the opening track for the album. You also get some wicked little guitar melodies underneath there. Oh, it's just it's just so bombastic and you know, it, it just kicks things off properly. Maybe not as well as Rock Show, because like, that's about being at the gig, and this is about you know, going to the gig, which is less effective, but it's still fun nonetheless. On to track three now, and the travellers have clearly arrived at their destination as the vendor is proudly declaring, we're open tonight. I mean, let's not go into the fact that the band have been on their way to a destination where they seemingly didn't know whether it was open or not, because we need to focus on the song itself with the limited time that we have. And I do want to mention how... Thematically, if you want to kick off the album with a bang, I'd start with this as the cold open and then go straight into getting closer. Like, if they're open tonight, that, that that's surely a statement at the start of an album. It doesn't make sense. It's clearly written that way to open the album. Am, am I wrong here? Am I, am, I, am I crazy? I feel like that makes much more sense. Anyway, upon reflection, this is basically just the I'm carrying of this album, you know, third track. It's an acoustic solo-esque McCartney ditty. It's very quiet, sonorous, short, slight. Um, although, by the end of this song, the track gets a little more complex than just a solo McCartney picker. You get those great little bass thuds, bongo beats, a little bit of squelchy electric guitar in the background. Like Even like xylophone, uh, with a little bit of backing vocals thrown in as well. It adds to this very ethereal, otherworldly nature of the song. And it is somewhat of a perfect track to lull you into a full sense of calm before the next time um, oh, I also just want to say I love the double acoustic guitars in this Lawrence Juba, shout out and with that sound of Denny declaring this is it and predicting the title of the last ever positive documentary about Michael Jackson we have Spin It On so yeah, I can remember the first time I heard this song and it still gives me the same feeling of excitement that it did back then. This is Wing at the most punky, most hard rocking, doing a real one and done, run and gun style of recording that is completely unlike anything we've heard from them since their early live days. It's short, powerful and kicks you in the nuts in just over two minutes. This song is a fantastic introduction to the new players in the band. First of all, we get some incredibly thrilling work from Lawrence Juba. 
that lets you know that winds are back with new blood and are rejuvenated to fucking here to rock the house down. Um, and then the, the true stand-up performance is Steve Holly's drumming, which is just a cacophony of unstoppable, roaring, deafening speed and ferocity. I mean, he really is just... is <laughs> a behemoth here. Like, this single song is enough justification for why people still kind of hold on to the what-if idea of another album with this lineup because they fucking rock. Let's just look, look at the lyrics for this one as well. After the flicks with a piddle in a next to the fair with a hair in curlers. Um, now, to that, I say, well, piddle in her nicks? Isn't that, you know, a girl going to the cinema with piss in her underwear? Like, what the fuck, Paul? <laughs> we also get a reference to the Pleasure Dome, uh, which is a reference from a Coolidge poem in 1816, and said a full five years before uh, Frankie Goes to Hollywood would call their album that. Though, in the next verse, we have, off to the field with a missionary zeal for the life of a wife of a farmer. So... We've got some guy going off with a farmer's wife to bang her in a field. And then there's um, their cousins didn't spend the night on a pinball table. So now there's like, what? Are they implying like cousin incest with them having sex on a pinball machine? What the fuck is this song? Is it Paul being really subversive and really punky? Is this as controversial as Paul could get? Because if so, he's doing a really good job. But Oh my God. Great song though. Spin it on guys. Keep doing so. On to track five now, and we get our only Denny Lane composition for this album, which is probably for the best, really. This is again and again and again. Like, maybe I'm, I'm going to be too harsh on this one, because I am a staunch Denny Lane apologist and defender on this podcast, but this is where the album falters for me. The run of pretty good to great songs is broken here. And I'm not saying that this album has been killer or anything, but... What ground was gained comes to a crashing halt here. I mean, it's just so clear to me that this this is subpar Denny Lane content. Sadly, this is far closer to children, children than it is to deliver your children. With him either consciously or subconsciously doing more of a Paul-inspired style song and foregoing his own bluesy style again. What's sadder, though, is that we don't even have a, a cold-cut blues track that was like acts from the track listing at the last minute or anything you know this is all we got from this era it's, it's so sad i mean where's the riff in this one like denny's taking the position of rhythm guitar a little too seriously and the whole thing is just these staccato strums every now and then with lawrence having to add these pointless little flares so we actually have something interesting to hear the same goes for the bass actually which is by far the more prominent instrument on this track Again and again and again. Oh. I really don't like this song, folks. I'm really sorry. But let's talk about some positives. Admittedly, um, the main hook of the song is very catchy. The, my love, the little woman. That that does get me every time. I have caught myself singing it. I also can't decry the fact that this is just a straight-up rock song, which is good for Wings' image and does allow this song to be stuffed with heavier tunes, which they needed at this point. I also do like those high-pitched organ-like synths and the way they cut right through the mix. I mean, do I think Linda's actually playing them? No, but they sound cool. Um, Denny's voice is also pretty darn cool here as well. Um, You know, with some growl and gruffness that we have rarely seen from him before. But I'm really kind of clutching at straws here. Uh, I don't like this this solo either. It's it's very basic. all the things I like about this song are very disparate and surface level and none of it accumulates to adding up to being enough to save the song for me at all. At least the lyrics are still pretty bluesy if you can make them out. I mean, what is with this album and difficult to make out lyrics? Is this what the band think punk or new wave is? Who knows? But you know what? Just while I've been talking now, I've just realised that, you know, (laughs) do you want want to be my little woman? Is basically a riff on Little Woman Love, a song from the very start of their career, which does have a nice kind of bridging element to it. Um, you know, it is a technically a Paul Solo song, but they did play that live. Um, oh, Denny, you're so going through the motions with this one. Where's Time to Hide? Where's Deliver Your Children? Come on, man. You can do better than this. This is so... Ugh. Like it really is a slog for me to sit through. I've never listened to this one. 
you know, returning to uh, a Paul McCartney playlist or anything. It's one I only ever hear when listening to the album in full. Unlike the next song, because next up, folks, we have Old Siam Sir, formerly titled Super Hot Heat Wave, as we mentioned in a recent Hot Hits and Cold Cuts episode. And yeah, this song was one of the very earliest examples of me cheating the format of the podcast and looking ahead somewhat. And I can remember when this pod was in its true infancy and being really excited by just how badass this song was and really looking forward to getting into Back to the Egg. And for the most part, I still feel that way. I have overplayed it somewhat, so I don't listen to it as often as I did back then. But hearing it now, not only does it make me feel very nostalgic, but I'm also just reminded of how killer it is. Like, it's so kick-ass. Of course, you've got two pretty darn memorable melodies in the first few seconds of this song that really help it stick in your mind. You have those really heavy grinding guitars that grunt and growl their way into the mix with great effect. Um, Things get even more epic and... Uh, less stereotypical during the this oh my god these these bridges like Lawrence just gets to let loose and really add some dramatic high-pitched hard rock guitars that just hit you in that classic American radio rock sort of way these guitars are also paired with another titanic performance from Steve Holly in the song you know clearly both he and Lawrence are making a name for themselves on this side one but Steve comes thundering in and his cymbal work here. Oh my god, listen to this stuff. It's so funky. He really displays his range magnificently within one song. Then we've also got to come to the uh, keyboard synth melody. And whilst I adore it and it does have a special place in my heart, I really don't know if it has aged all that well. Um, of course, the idea of all music referring to anything East Asian in the way that it does in that kind of borderline Fu Manchu way is hardly the most politically correct thing in the present day, especially considering that Paul has a track on the next album titled Frozen Jap. Apologies for the slur there, but it services my point. That that being said, though, I'm not going to say that it's bad or anything or poorly played or, you know, a poor melody. It's really flavourful and different and playful, and it does put a cheesy smile on my face, but I won't pretend that the fact that this element of the song isn't problematic and isn't clearly the reason why Paul's rarely ever referenced it again. Damn, these guitars just sound so fucking gargantuan though, don't they? I mean, I know Wings did two pretty soft albums prior to this, and the fact that this was their last album means it's a little too little too late, but fuck me, do they ever make up for lost time and deliver more rock in one album than they ever had done before? Speaking of Asia, if you, uh, any of you out there are struggling to find Siam on your globe, that is because Siam is the old historical name for modern-day Thailand, aka the independently governed country of Thailand. Ooh, politics. Um, and they officially changed their name in 1939. Of course, being old Siam, sir, it implies that this song takes place a long time ago. And it is a, a fun little narrative for Paul at this point. I mean... <laughs> I like the idea that it's a woman who emigrated to the UK looking for love. Uh, she has a whirlwind marriage that's so fashion she meets the dad at the wedding for it all to go to shit and she gets a bad letter and she presumably has to go back home to support someone and she just gets some cash and has to go back. But we're not really told why this means she'd lost her way. Like, if she, if she had to go back because she had a letter like a, a, that was a tale of woe, then clearly she had to she had to go back and do that. Anyway... Oh my god, I love the energy in this closer as well. Like so many of these songs on this album have incredible, uh, you know, endings to them. I mean, even though that this is a lazy fade out, which always rubs me the, 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 the wrong way, it's done particularly well here. So I'm going to be a little more lenient. Anyway, to close out side one, we have the first song from this album that I still actually listen to on the reg. This is Arrow Through Me. Yes, folks, this is top-tier McCartney through and through, plain and simple. I've always ranked this as being amongst all my f- favourite McCartney songs of all time. This is Paul, uh, you know, saying that you know, <laughs> he was in his Stevie Wonder mode, which I think is quite interesting. Like, I never thought of Stevie Wonder when I heard this song the first time, but I do get what he means here. 
on the last album with With A Little Luck. We had Paul going into full synth god mode and we get that here again, only it's a completely different vibe. Here with Arrow Through Me, it's a little more of an ambiguous vibe, you know. We eschew all of that silly sentiment and we have something slightly darker and foreboding and tense. Uh, but it's sort of like a levity and enjoyable quality that just makes it a fun song from start to finish. Uh, McCartney's vocal again is truly stellar here. I always love a good McCartney falsetto, but in addition to it being a straight up high pitched performance, it also has this really breathy, distant, dreamlike quality that boosts it into something truly interesting and unique. And for a second song in a row, you've got an absolutely killer instrumental bridge here. And I know a lot of people would have preferred Paul to have had his horns be conducted by George Martin in Abbey Road Studio 2. But for me, those synthesizer-based horns that we get are integral to what makes this song work. First of all, I'm sure many people like me didn't even realise that they were synthetic. And secondly, I don't think it really matters as the sound is just so euphonic and awesome carrying the exact same grandiose scope and drama of that you know the regular orchestral dub would but still making it a little more modern a little more new wave you know as far as the lyrics go i gotta say i do dig their simplicity and i have a proper soft spot for their goofiness like let's just look at a couple of key lines Ooh, baby you could have done a worse thing to me if you'd taken an arrow right through me and then you wouldn't have found a more down hero if you'd have started at nothing and counted to zero. <laughs> yeah, right away we can tell that this is one of those McCartney songs where the lyrics are totally in subservience to that absolutely killer groove. Like, I think, I'm, I, I, think I even mentioned this on like an episode or a blog post I did earlier, way earlier in the show, which was about terrible Paul McCartney rhyming couplets. Like, he's so forcing hero and zero to fit there. Like, I forgive him because I love the song, but you got to admit, Paul, it's it's really silly. <laughs> What's also cool about this song is that it's like a Nurk Twins wing song. You know, it's only Paul and Steve Holly being present for the whole recording. But yeah, Paul's doing 85% of the work. and He's just doing the drums, but it's a nice little bit of trivia. Ah, oh, we get these synth horns again. They're so cool. It really does make me wonder whether this song was ever considered to end the album because like this is a pretty darn epic McCartney you know song and it, it, it's getting very bombastic again very grandiose and I could easily see a world where this is the closer still as a closer for side one it still functions tremendously and you've got to love those little scat vocals we had over the top there as well and three two one there we go Right, folks, that is the end of side one of Back to the Egg. Now, you know, you've got to get up off the floor or off your chair or off your bed and pick up the disc, flip it over. And in those few seconds, you know, you're going to be reflective. You're going to be asking yourself, what did I, what did I think of that? How am I feeling? How were you feeling when you first heard the first half of Back to the Egg? How do you think things are going so far? Is this a particularly strong side? Is it consistent? Are the, are the songs flowing from one to another? Is this lineup of the band working for you? Is this slightly new, yet you know, still classically wings, musical direction that they're playing with working for you? There's an awful lot to consider. I mean, it's very different from Wings at the Speed of Sound and very different from London Town, so at least it's definitely got that going for it, whether you like it or not. At least they are doing something different. And you know what, as far as I'm concerned, we have had at least one all-time classic with Arrow Through Me, and two minor ones with Spin It On and Old Siam Sir. Let's get ready, folks. I've flipped over my copy of the album now, and let's head on into side two. Starting off side two now, and we literally have one of my least favourite songs in the Wings canon. Uh, this is the Rochestra theme. Yeah, folks, this one's never done it for me. Like, never, ever, ever. I mean, I don't like to decry other people for their opinions and for what songs they do like, but I've certainly never understood or empathised with what so many people seem to get out of this bland, lifeless, uninteresting number. Though, that's not to say that there is no version of this song 
that I don't like because if you go back to the McCartney 1974 home demo recordings, aka the piano tape, you will hear that he had this song, along with a couple of other tracks from this album actually, plotted out to some degree and the orchestra theme, as far as I'm concerned, is far more fun and way less pretentious and over the top as a simple piano piece and it doesn't even feature that silly honky-tonk piano either. Now, I would say that the, that the worst thing this song does, or should I say doesn't do, is that it it fails to deliver on any of the promises it makes. I mean, when you advertise a song as featuring Dave Gilmore, Hank Marvin, John Bonham, John Paul Jones, Ray Cooper, and the entire Wings Over the World brass section, I don't think I'm stepping out of line when I say you kind of just expect a little bit more than this. Like, conceptually, this is a corking little idea, but the execution, like a bronze guillotine, is very poor indeed. If you were to have Paul working one-on-one with any of these big names on an album, or even just for a single, you would certainly get much more fruitful and worthwhile experiences out of it. However, since they're all mixed together, none of them actually get to stand out and do anything. Like, if you weren't told that all of these people are on this record, you would never even know. And that's... There's nothing about this project that requires them other than just, you know, double-tracking a bunch of individual performances from this band. It should just be Wings doing this, surely. I mean, what's even worse is that Paul got all these top-tier artists together and then gave them a song that was just that same riff over and over again. It does nothing... It goes nowhere, it's not interesting, it's just vain, self-serving tosh, and I really don't like it. I'm sorry, that's just the way I feel. Following on, and we have To You. And I love this soft little intro here, because it tricks you into thinking that this is going to be one type of song going in, before kicking into a much harder, faster, and kick-ass one. I love it when Paul pulls the rug out from under my feet. And this is a, a cute little example of that. So yeah, this is one of the songs that I've always ended up forgetting about, but because of that, it's always a pleasant surprise when I do return to it. I mean, I probably haven't listened to this song in over a year now, probably longer, and sitting here right now, I have no idea why, because this is so clearly a banger. It's so enjoyable, and oh, it could happen to you. I mean, for an album that supposedly didn't sell that well and would wind up being the final Wings LP release, it still has been doing all the things that the fans have supposedly wanted the whole time. In that we've had you know, a load of comparatively heavy rock numbers, like this one, um, you know, and this is like some of the best rock they've ever done. I mean, actually, this was the first song that the new lineup recorded for the Back to the Egg sessions, and with such a strong start as this, it really doesn't make sense how the end result simply didn't connect with audiences at the time. And songs like this show just how taste blind. You know, the, the album buying population was. Maybe they were just spending too much time buying into the false narratives about Wings, or maybe they just didn't bother to listen. But if they had, they would have found out that songs like this would totally kick ass. The rhythm section of this song, again, is just an unstoppable juggernaut, and it drives the song on forward at an incredible pace. Poor this magnificently thudding bass line, which I just love. There's another top-tier drum performance from Steve Holly here. We get some cracking Linda heavy backing vocals as well, which is always a plus for me. Um, Paul's own rock and roll vocal is also spectacular in its own right. And so I guess the best way to describe this song is that it, it's just mind-blowing how this band were, you know, speeding right out of the gate with their first project. Like, there's, there's, there's no stumbling or fumbling here. They are, they are doing this excellently straight away talking about the lyrics though um, this is basically just another track like Getting Closer where the words are just serving a vigorously potent instrumental track and, you know, and a little more though I do like the idea of building a song around the hook of well if the same thing happened to you would you still put me through what you put me through you know it's a fun kind of post breakup type hook where the singer turns the table on, a, on the, the breakup and forces the other person to be a little more empathetic but again, I'm thinking about this too much. It's not the main thrust of the of the song. And it's probably just there because it sounds cool. It's a cool little turn of phrase, especially when sung by Paul and the band. I 
Apparently this solo as well, before we close out, was done by running the guitar track through a harmonizer and warping the sound effect live in the studio while they were playing it. Like, it's so cool that they did it then and there rather than in post. Cracking little song. Okay, now on to our first of the twofers with After the Ball and Million Miles. Okay, so for the first song here, I'm immediately going to come in swinging and say that I straight up do not like this song. Again, I need to reinforce the fact that just because you may catch me singing along to this on the street doesn't mean I think it's of any substantive quality. Catchy is catchy, but catchy doesn't equal good. At least not when compared to the rest of Paul's oeuvre, or even the rest of this album. This is just a chorus repeated over and over again, but not in a fun way like he did with Cosmically Conscious. Or, you know, and, and, and that single verse we get is so slight and singular, it really doesn't add anything to the rest of the song either. You know, I'm not saying that this thing is completely unsalvageable. I really would have just preferred that he'd turned it into a fully-fledged song with a beginning, a middle, and an end, and not just be one of those classic go-nowhere McCartney songs. And if in this case he tried that and failed, and that's why it's so crudely bolted onto another song, then I'd rather have him not bothered. I mean, are you telling me that, that this track is better than Cage, or Same Time Next Year, or even Maisie, Lawrence Juba's song. If you are saying that, then you are sadly mistaken, my friend, because this is poor on true balladeering autopilot. Like, he's just singing after the ball again. Like, yeah, it's a good vocal performance, and it's a great little time for him to show off, but my god, the energy of the album has just been sapped right in front of us in one fell swoop like what's this got to do with anything else from back to the egg like this is paul just kind of taking over oh god we've got this ridiculous faux rock middle section which just comes out of nowhere is completely inappropriate like maybe they were trying to do that thing where they make up for the soppy sentimental nature of the song and redo what they did with the middle solo on girlfriend from the last album but they simply do not pull it off here with, with, with the same kind of wink and a nod to the audience. It feels very forced and awkward and cringy as fuck. Oh my god, this is so bad. Oh, it's, it, it's some of the worst Wings material that there is. And with a wheeze of the accordion, we come to the second part of the song now. And right away, I want to point out just how poorly that transition was. I mean, Jesus... Did they not attempt to re-record the two separate songs at all? Like, they, they are literally just pushing the two separate recordings together. And it's just them making tab A fit into slot B without any thought, wit, or creativity. Like, you know, let's just put a bit of a, a rock number over the top and cover up how the intro for this song is totally different from the end of the last one and no one will notice. Well, I'm sorry, Paul, I did notice, and it's awful. This is another song that was on the 1974 piano tape that I mentioned earlier. And whilst I'll admit the folksy, accordion-based arrangement is m more interesting than just the piano vibe, it really doesn't do much to elevate the material, which has the exact same problems as the first half. You know, it, it, it's equally disjointed. And again, it's just a, a chorus forced upon the listener over and over and over again. And did we need accordion in the middle of this heavy rock album? At the end of the day, everyone, I just have to address that this is an example of Paul just not being able to stitch together two songs in the way that he normally is. Not only should both of these songs be either kept in Paul's back pocket or taken back to the drawing board and expanded, but they also straight up have no business being stitched together, let alone as poorly as they were. I mean, I would be able to forgive a good ballad slash sappy song breaking up this kind of rock album but it's not one that's good it's bad now what's more paul mccartney than one two-part song yes it's two two-part songs back to back and with that we come on to one of my low-key favorites of mccartney's entire career which is winter rose love awake I would never have suspected that it would have ended up this way when I first heard this song all those years ago. And thinking about it, I don't think I was even that positive towards it the first time around. But yeah, over the years, I've always found myself coming back to this one time and time again. I remember a few years ago when I was looking for a job at this hotel, and the only thing I take away from that day is listening to this song 
in the snow in a bus stop shelter freezing my nuts off. Can we just take a second, sorry, just to point out how fucking excellent Paul's voice is here. Like, it's just so unbearably emotional, unbearably in a good way, like, it's so wrought. It gets me every time. Lawrence Juba in an interview mentions that Paul may have had a cold that day, and that's why it's so grizzled and raw, but it totally works for the song, as it effortlessly sells the anguish and the tragedy of the narrative. Now, I do kind of tend to have a pop at, you know, melodies that, uh, and solos and these kind of things that just repeat the pre-established notes that we had before, but there's something about this little instrumental that just feels so classy and well-executed to me. Maybe that's just because I love the normal melody so much, but... Again, the choice of the synthy instruments here, like Arrow Through Me, is sublime and perfect as far as I'm concerned. But I just love how serious and foreboding this track is. Like It really reminds me of like a Jane Austen novel or Wuthering Heights or something like that. Maybe it's got something to do with the video, you know, taking place at Limpian Castle or something like that. But, ah, oh, this is just McCartney's melody writing at its very best. And like, you know, even, even the lyrics, they're just so well done. It's a great example of Paul's masterful brevity and his ability to convey so much in so few words. I mean, just the idea, the concept of a winter rose, something of beauty that is dying or fighting the cold, is wonderfully evocative in its own right. <laughs> and then the clouds part here and we come into Love Awake. And, you know, straight, straight away... Just, just with that transition there, it's so apparent that this two-parter track is the superior of the two. I mean, it, how flawless was that? Like, it just felt so relieving and uplifting. Um, this is actually another track that we recently discussed in our Hot Hits and Cold Cuts episode, as this was supposedly possibly part of a, a track called I Keep On Believing. And thank God Paul chose to add it to Winter Rose instead, as it really does lift up both songs and they complement each other perfectly, unlike the last one. Like having the wintry Requiem-style song that then goes into the life-affirming summary track is just genius and so effective. But it's more than that, you know, you have lyrics in Love Awake that, you know, directly reference snow and winter you know, linking the two songs even further thematically. Like, I really do feel like this one was probably, you know, an edit, a, you know, a, a stitching together that was worked out in the edit later on. But it's just so fortunate that it did work out this way. You know, like the clucking of the um, chicken that goes straight into the Sgt. Pepper reprise? That's this on, on, on this album. It just works out so well. Oh, the Wings harmonies here are fucking excellent, by the way. I love the organs in the background here. It's so regal and masterful and royal. Oh, my God, I love this song so much. Like, this song is done so well that it genuinely makes me wonder what possessed Paul to put it directly after such an unsuccessfully similar two-part track. This is literally exactly what the last one should have been. You know, we get two songs that have a link with their themes, their tones, their lyrics, even their arrangements. Each one is brilliant on their own and as a pair. And the whole thing is stitched together with the precision of a Gucci handbag. And we get the little... Oh, that, uh, that is like a little... Sounds like a little like a synthetic harp or something like that. What a nice little touch. What a beautiful little flourish. Now, we all know my penchant for the weirder aspects of Paul's discography, and with the next track, we get exactly that. This is The Broadcast, a nice, weird, unexpectedly experimental interlude in Back to the Egg. You know, the through line to McCartney 2 becomes a lot more obvious with tracks like this. As you can tell, Paul really did want to do new and interesting things with sound loops and tapes and all of that. And he knocks it out of the park with this one. You know, maybe you don't like the track itself, but you have to concede that this is conceptually very interesting and different. 
you know, this song comes out of nowhere without any warning. And after a side of hard rockers and classic McCartney ballads, we just have this trippy soundscape to wet our beaks before the final hurrah. <laughs> of course, we just did our Strawberries, Ocean, Ships, Forest episode last week, and now to hear these songs on this album is pretty trippy, as both you know this and Reception would end up being used by youth as samples for that dance, trance, ambient album. And if I had to pick two songs in my head that would seemingly not work as samples for a dance album, it would be these two. <laughs> um, I guess like this is meant to be also like continuing the theme established by the reception like are we still in the radio here is this another flimsy sergeant pepper connecting all all back to the start kind of thing you know if, if it is it's still better than nothing but it's it's odd and now we move into our penultimate track the true big bad closer for the album so glad to see you here so yeah this song immediately comes a lot closer to delivering on the implied promises of the Rockestra band. You know, this time we get a much more interesting, dynamic, high-octane song that has movements and changes, and a lot more for each player to do, but it still falls kind of short. Yes, it is a step in the right direction, but we are far from the potential that all these artists together could deliver. Like, you know, there should be like five or six different solos, like the end in this to kind of showcase everyone. But no, it's just everyone following Paul's direction again. You know, I am having a lot more fun with this one, and it is straight up a better song, but something way better could have been done. Like, if any of these guys had a hand in the writing and contributed to writing these tracks, maybe it would have been different. But sadly, they are just the world's most expensive session musicians. All of that aside, though, when you take this as a straight-up wing song without any of that baggage, the track is pretty fucking sick. I mean, if you hadn't been bogged down with all that orchestra trivia, it would be far better off, as you wouldn't have to live up to any of those lofty heights and just be a fun, energetic rocker, which it is. I mean, once again, there's nothing to indicate that this is anyone other than Wings performing, and I do envy those fans that just heard this as a Wings track and got to enjoy it pure and simple. But yeah, folks, calm down. I do indeed actually love this song, despite all that crap I've been talking about. And along with To You, this song is part of the awesome hard rock stuff that keeps Side 2 from descending into mostly McCartney saccharine solo stuff. You know, this album really is making up for the fact that the last two albums didn't have all that much uh, in terms of rock and roll. You know, maybe even if this type of rock wasn't exactly what the kids wanted, um, you know, Paul's never done this much rock on an album before or since, so that makes Back to the Egg very special. Again, the energy in this song is just infectious. We dive right into the chaos and the song never lets up, that thrilling pace, you know, even after that immediate dose of adrenaline. Like, I don't know, I want to go into a little bit of a deeper meaning for this song, but I can't really pick out any individual elements as it is just musicians copying the Paul template but you know the melody itself is cracking I love the vocals here Paul's really just letting loose here he definitely covers the fact that this probably isn't the greatest song lyrically or ever though no one can talk about the lyrics to the song without mentioning the someone's got a roll tonight line which is another blatant wings weed reference amidst a slew of blatant wings weed references then, in typical McCartney fashion, we get a reprise, uh, you know, to give this album a bit of a semi-cyclical sense of narrative and completion. Um, you know, th this is referencing We're Open Tonight from the start of the album. And I, I like the idea of this, and I like it when he does it on any album, but this doesn't work as well as, say, you know, Picasso's Last Words or the Red Rose Speedway medley. And, you know... Those th those two might even be a little more cynical and calculated, but they do fit the theme a lot better and feel less thrown in. And finally, folks, for our denouement, our appendices for this album, we have Baby's Request. Oh, just listen to this one, folks. Isn't it just the sweetest thing ever? I mean, if I was Paul's baby, this would certainly be a request of mine. After an album of mostly harder rockers, this is the perfect little come-down tune for us to hum along to. And, oh, Paul is in such effortless crooner mode here. It works so well. The whole thing is just so laid back and serene. And, you know, Paul gets to slip back into old habits. 
Yeah, I know a lot of us would have preferred to have had Cage to end the album with a rocker, and I'd be lying if I said that I've never thought that, but I'd also be lying if I said I also don't love this song as the closer. It's a real pick-your-poison moment for Paul and the band, and I think it's safe to say that this is certainly the decision that feels most like him. And he's, the band are just, (laughs) their their, their vocals together with Paul's here are just so shamelessly romantic and saccharine. It's just so whimsical. You can't help but just go along with it. Again, we get some more synthy orchestra here with these horns. Like, I don't know what it is, but the fake instruments, these synthetic instruments on this album work for me far more than on other McCartney works. And again, the through line between this and McCartney 2 is so obvious once you pick up on it. With songs like this, though, I mean, it's been the case over the whole album, but it's very hard to separate them from their music videos. Like, you know, getting closer, it's hard not to see them in the shots of the van on the way to the show or spin it on with the bomber jackets or again and again and again in, in the Yellow Meadow. And here it's the same with the imagery of them in doing that kind of World War II USO show in the desert is burned into my mind. I'm surprised, though, that there aren't more covers of this track. You know, you would have felt like this would be definitely one that, you know, some some of the bigger names of the day would have been able to turn into, you know, a little cash grab top 20 hit, but I'm yet to really hear anything like that. Um, You know, maybe for the next uh, covers episode, I'll have a look for it, but, you know, no one's going to do it better than Paul, are they? (laughs) Oh, just listen to his voice. So mellifluous, isn't it? And we get a little bit of trumpet here. One more time. Oh, and there we are, folks. We did indeed get back to the egg there. That was 1979's Back to the Egg, the final Wings album. There is no more Wings after this, except, you know, technically them appearing in the wonderful Christmas time music video and their B-side appearance on the Coming Up single. No, this isn't the last word on the band that any of us wanted. It did kind of come out of nowhere. But, of course, after this... You get the uh, the UK tour, which which, which was all right, but it, it was meant to lead up to the the grand Japanese tour that, of course, ended up with Paul getting busted. Whether he intended to or not is is up to you. But that's where Wings ends, and that is our last run run in with them on this Listen with Sam side series. Um, but you know, I've really enjoyed listening to Back to the Egg over the last couple of days. I think I've enjoyed going back to all of these albums, really. You know, all of McCartney's material is made up of growers, not showers. But I've got to admit, Back to the Egg is way more consistent than I remember. There are so many good melodies and vocal hooks to sink your teeth into. You know, that it, it's just so memorable. Like, <laughs> I mean, it might have ups and downs and it's a bit all over the place in terms of, like, the sound it's doing, but... Bar, like, one or two examples, the songs themselves are still top-tier Wings, top-tier McCartney. You know, this lineup is easily one of the best that they ever had. It does rival the Wings Over America, Wings Over the World Band, and, you know, I, too, wish we had another album from this slot. Maybe, you know, Back to the Egg with Lawrence, Steve, Linda, and Denny. You know, maybe it wouldn't have been as good as the final tug of war. Maybe we wouldn't have had Get It and Ebony and Ivory on it. But who knows? Maybe we would have had some better songs, some different songs, you know. I love how much rock and roll there is on this album. I love how aggressive it is. I love how it is aiming for that kind of punky new wave thing. But it still keeps that typical wing style. It's a very interesting aesthetic and soundscape for them to work with. And for the most part... They actually do it really well. You know, songs like To You and So Glad to See You Here, Spin It On, Old Siam Sir, they really go for it. And then, you know, you've got like Arrow Through Me, a proper top tier McCartney classic that is still as good today as it was then. It's oh my God, it's so funky. I'm going to go back and listen to it now after this. Lyrically, this might be the weakest, though, of all of Wings' albums. Um, you know, just just listening through it then and doing my notes today, I was like, God, there aren't really that many classic lines from this album. It's mostly a sound album. Maybe, you know, Paul was more focused on 
the arrangements and the instrumentation and he was kind of resting on his that'll do the magics in the first go lyric writing style there aren't many songs from this album that make it into Paul McCartney the lyrics for example there are a couple but um not not as much as other classic albums and I also like most Wings albums I do think that the track listing could be improved and reordered somewhat but overall this is still a strong Wings album. Maybe it's in the lower half if you have to put all of the albums in an order where you're not allowed to say some are as good as each other. Like if you're forced at gunpoint to rank the Wings albums with no concessions or nuance, then yeah, this isn't Band on the Run, Venus and Mars or Wildlife. I mean, I know a lot of you out there would say that this this is definitely better than Wildlife and that's the beauty of opinion. But you know, as far as I'm concerned, this is a, a very notable, very well done last hurrah for the band. You know, it's a great final statement. It does leave you wanting more. It's not like they went out with a fizzle and did a second London town or something like that. They really gave it their all. And you know what? It, it didn't it didn't work out in the end. And that's the story. <laughs> you know, Despite this being the album during the period where Mac is supposedly losing his interest and he wants to leave the band and Linda wants to leave the band, there's still quite clearly a fucking load of effort that was put into the making of this record and it shows and you see it in the results. It's still really fun and enjoyable and you really cannot take away from the fact that at least they did something different. You know, it's not just the same old thing over and over. Anyway, folks... You know, enough ranting about Back to the Egg. This has been another episode of Paul or Nothing. This has been the Listen with Sam side series. We've had a look at 1979's Back to the Egg. I really hope you've enjoyed this episode. Again, like I say, just a little something to keep you tidied over, keep your beaks wet until Flaming Pie comes out, part one next week, part two with Dr. Duncan Driver the week after. You know what? Well, I'm sure Denny Lane's already been playing us out for a moment now, so all I'm going to say is... Get ready for the Flaming Pie episodes. I'm really putting a lot of effort into these. I really think you're going to enjoy them. They're both massive in terms of their their scope and the research I've been doing for it. I'm, I'm, I'm hopefully going to cover more than you could ever possibly imagine. Uh, keep your ears to the ground in terms of Paul's touring dates in the US. If you're in the US and you're planning to go, drop me an email. Let, let me know what is going on. Make sure you also pick up some McCartney vinyl on record store day and all that jazz peace and love peace and love keep listening to Paul keep listening to the Beatles no more autographs play us out What does she get for all the love?